we're going to go, uh, we, we got 50 chapters of Genesis to cover this morning. 50. It's like as, <laughs> as many states as are in our country, okay? It's a lot. There's the 4th of July tie-in. We did it, okay? Um, so, yeah, we're going to do that. My name's Dane, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you're here this morning. And we stand every week for the reading of God's words. So that's going to be a new, new rhythm we're going to practice uh, as we come back from greeting, just staying standing. So this is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is the pivot point, the turning point in the book of Genesis, and you might say in the Bible as a whole. Okay? Um, so, the Lord said to Abram, whose name later becomes Abraham. Good, we're tracking. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. It's the land of Canaan. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. That's a key word in Genesis. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And may God bless the reading of his word. So you may go ahead and have, have a seat. Well, um, a few months ago, during paternity leave, uh, my wife, Brittany, finally caved. She finally caved, and she watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy with me. Yes, yes, amen. The extended editions, of course, okay, the real ones. 11.2 hours. Can we give Brittany a hand this morning? Yes. She, she is not here, but I will tell her how excited we are with, for her. Um, she'd actually read the first book years ago, and she wanted to read all three before watching the movies, do it the proper way. Um, but life, you know, is life. <laughs> and she kept petering out somewhere in the middle of the two towers, like you petered out in Leviticus the first time you tried to read the Bible as a whole, okay? We're all the same. Uh, and so finally, you know, I said, "Hun, let's just do it. You know, we've been married for 11 years, 11 years, and there's so much. You know, there's this big part of me that I feel like you don't fully understand and like all my references, you know, and so let's just treat it like an HBO series or something and we'll just, you know, bit by bit until you fall asleep on the couch every night. Um, uh, and in a way, that's the story of this sermon series. Um, see, Brittany understood that because she loved me, loves me, loves me, still loves me, uh, and wanted to partner with me, my covenant partner, and understand a bunch of my references, she needed to know this story, the story of Middle Earth. Now, of course, if you really want to know the story of Middle Earth, you need to read the Silmarillion, which is like the Old Testament. To the, but anyway, um, one thing at a time. So for Brittany... Reading, watching The Lord of the Rings was a labor of love for me. It's a labor of love for me. There's a lot of weird parts, you know, that you got to work through. Um, but then something happened, okay? She wasn't crazy about the movies at first. She referred to them as orcs with gingivitis. Like, it just, it just grossed her out. Uh, but somewhere around the end of the second movie, she goes, you know what? She pauses it says, Dane... This is really good. 
Like, there, you know, there's, took me a while with the names and the histories, but I'm starting to get the whole picture, and it's really good. And I was like, oh, that's great, honey. Yes! You know, like, so excited. Um, and by the way, she wanted to point out, I have done my own labor of loves over the year. I have watched Father of the Bride, part one and two, okay? Sister Act, one and two, okay? So it's a mutual thing. And so this sermon series on the Torah, the Torah Uh, which is sometimes called the Law or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Can we say them together? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, if it's your first day in church, your goal for the series, just memorize that and you're good, okay? Um, And so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Jesus said that these together form a story and that his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection was a fulfillment of this law, of this story, of the Torah. So if we want to be faithful apprentices of Jesus, right? We, we want to partner with him and understand his references as his bride, the church. We need to know, we need to live in this story, the Torah. Reading and meditating on the Torah is a labor of love for Jesus. It is a labor, it takes work, but it's a labor of love for Jesus, and it's worth it. Um, it was really fun having lunch at Sultan's Kebab as the pastoral team and talking about this series, because uh, we know that many of you have read the Torah or Maybe you've attempted to read the Torah, right? And you were like the Israelites. You got lost in the wilderness for 40 years, you know, and haven't come back. Um, and so think of this sermon series as like the movie version, hopefully shorter than The Lord of the Rings and with far fewer Academy Awards. Um, but since that's the case, just want to make one thing clear. Our goal is not to answer every question that we modern Westerners have about the Torah. You know, how do we reconcile creation and evolution? Why did God put the tree there? Why can't the Israelites eat shrimp scampi? You know, there's a lot of questions at the granular level, um, but we're going to be up here looking at it from the big picture, um, 15 to 30,000 foot view, um, and to hopefully see the beauty of it and just be inspired and a little more equipped with like a map to re-engage with this labor of love with a little more patience for those, those FAQs, okay? So let's look at the whole Torah first from a 30,000-foot view. Uh, we'll start in Genesis, okay? So this is, of course, the origins, the origin story of humanity. Um, God speaks life into existence and blessing and goodness, but humanity chooses death, and we travel from Uh, Eden to Egypt, okay? Um, And then Exodus starts in Egypt, and the family of Abraham is uh, rescued. They're redeemed from slavery in Egypt, and they travel to Mount Sinai, okay? That's the story there. And then Leviticus picks up at Mount Sinai. The whole book is there. And uh, God, it's about communion. God makes a way to dwell in the middle, in the midst of his people through the sacrificial system in the tabernacle and later 
the temple. Then we get to Numbers, terrible name, great book. Uh, Numbers is about, as we've been talking about, sanctification, the process of becoming holy, right? God leads his people. They leave Mount Sinai in chapter 11 and go across the wilderness for 40 years learning to trust him. Doesn't go so well. Um, And then Deuteronomy, mission. God calls his people, now a nation of families, to be his faithful witnesses to his glory and his goodness in the land, the promised land of Canaan that he is giving to them. So notice that it's kind of a way of describing the Bible as a whole, okay? God creates everything, humanity rebels, but God redeems and saves his people. Ultimately, we believe through the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, God communes with his people, first through the tabernacle, then the temple, and then through his indwelling Holy Spirit in the midst of us, his people. God then sanctifies his people through teaching them to trust him and walk by the Spirit in the wilderness of this life. And then finally, ultimately, we're invited to partner, to to covenant with God in his mission to bless the whole world as we make disciples, apprentices of all nations. Uh, So as a whole, we're going to say this every week, and I pray that by the fifth week, it's natural and makes sense. Uh, The Torah is the Bible in miniature. These five books are the Bible in miniature, They function as the school of the ways of God, how God works in the world, right? Um, And the pattern of how he works through history to uh, redeem people. So it's the pattern of the history of redemption that leads to Jesus, the climactic final act. And so this labor of love, reading and meditating on the Torah over a lifetime uh, it teaches us, and that's what Torah literally means, okay? Teaching or instruction. It teaches us what God is working toward in the world. You know, you wouldn't get that through watching the news or whatever. It teaches us what God is working through in the, toward in the world, blessing, flourishing, wholeness, abundance, and how he is working toward it, how he is saving people, by his word and his spirit and commissioning us. And we read this, we meditate on this so we can better serve him uh, right where he's placed us as his covenant partners. Okay, so that's 30,000. Now we're going to go down to 15,000 uh, and we're going to talk about Genesis, which is the first part of the Torah. And it's divided into two unequal parts. Okay, my Lord of the Rings boxed set, which is now dated, it has disc one and disc two for each one. So that's how we're going to talk about this. So disc one is Genesis 1 through 11. And we'll get to Genesis 1 in a moment. But Genesis 1 through 11 is the story of God's dealings with humanity as a whole. Does that make sense? Humanity as a whole. And it, it's a bleak picture, friends. Okay, uh, God makes everything good and he invites humanity to be his kids and you know make babies so that they can spread you know pass on the the family business of blessing 
of wholeness, flourishing, abundance, peace to the ends of the earth as they have more babies. But instead, the kids, you know, they take all the good that they've inherited and they make it turn out for bad, for evil. Because chapter 11, verse 4 says, they wanted to make a name for themselves. That's the story. It's a bleak, bleak picture. But disc 2 Genesis 12 through 50, it's hopeful God responds to this bleak situation by taking all of humanity's bad, all of humanity's evil, and making it turn out for good. And the way he does this is by adopting the average, highly dysfunctional family of Abraham and working with them over four generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph specifically. Uh, And all he asks for is just a tiny little germ, a little seed of faith, and God can work with that. God can work with that. Um, So let's pop in disc one, all right? Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some people jump off right here. They're like, nah. (laughs) I'm like, just keep watching the movie. It's really good, okay? Um, The earth was without form and void. It was shapeless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep, the waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters like a bird. And And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light From the darkness. So let's talk about God for a moment. God, his his spirit, his word, right, that he speaks creation into existence. We see it right here. God is the main character of the Torah. God is the hero of the story. We're not used to stories like this, so we might miss it, but it's really important. You might miss that when you're reading about Abraham for like 12 chapters or Moses for four books of the Torah right? But they're not the main character. God is the main character. The other characters, they just die, you know, and God moves on. Like Abraham and Sarah, uh, Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After his death, God blessed Isaac, his son. It's just moving right along. What happened to them? You know, it's not about them. Not about them. Noah, Noah, he's the hero, right? Uh, Noah gets drunk and naked in a tent. His son does something shameful, to him. It's, it's a bad scene, okay? Abraham, oh my goodness, he gives Sarah, his wife, uh, he pretends to be her sister and puts her in a harem twice to save his own skin, okay? Then Sarah, um, she gives Abraham her Egyptian slave, Hagar, uh, to, to sleep with, which Abraham then does, and then Sarah turns around and oppresses her, It's like kind of a dysfunctional family, right? (laughs) Kind of a dysfunctional family. God God is the hero of the story. That's that's the point. Um, The only way you could get a different idea is if you don't actually read it and you just hear the story secondhand. Um, The remarkable thing about these people is that little seed of faith, which is a gift from God anyway, right? And the remarkable thing is that God becomes becomes the, the main character in their story. So, so that's a really important thing that meditating on the Torah does slowly over time as it shapes us by reminding us that God is the main character in our story. You know, it's, we, we, the stories we tell ourselves, 
We may believe in God, but we end up living as functional atheists because we're living in a different story. And the, the Torah just confronts us with this God who is there and he speaks and he blesses and he makes promises and he rewards and protects those who seek him. And this, my friends, really does make a huge difference in our lives practically. As the Jewish people have attested to over millennia, you can endure just about anything when the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your God and he is with you. So that's God. So let's talk about humanity now. Uh, this skip down, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, keyword. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's the utterly revolutionary idea. Humanity, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, everyone is in the image of God. Everyone is like God. True, from dust we are taken and to dust we shall return, so we're connected to every living thing around us, but we are uniquely connected to God who breathed his spirit into us. And unlike animals, like God, we have been given the, the capacity and the job description, the mandate to rule over God's good earth and to spread his blessing, his abundance, his fruitfulness, his wholeness, his holiness, his peace, his flourishing, to spread that to the end of the earth. Okay, so God is the main character. Humanity is like God. But we don't have a story yet, do we? <laughs> we don't have a story yet because a story needs a plot. And a plot needs a fall. And so in Genesis 3, you know this one, the, the crafty little serpent slithers in to the scene and he suggests, you know, you're not really like God. <laughs> if you were like, if you're really like God, you, you'd know the difference between good and bad and good and evil like he does. You know, you'd be wise like me, like him, Right? Then, you know, you wouldn't have to depend upon him or on anyone. You could be your own, and then you'd really be like God, and you'd be in charge, and you could call the shots. And, you know, God's kind of nervous about that, so he's holding back on you. And so, so look, just take, eat from the tree that God told you not to eat from, and, and they do. So instead of blessing, we get cursing. And this, this pattern begins that goes not just in the Torah, but on through the entirety of scripture. It's a pattern where, you know, God promises blessing and all humans have to do is what? Wait. That's all they have to do is wait. Right? God is going to give them the knowledge of good and bad. He's going to give them understanding as they grow and mature, but instead they grab and take matters into their own hands. And Sarah, you know, instead of waiting for the promise 
child, for example. She took Hagar and gave her to Abraham. Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam. And it's the same story over and over again. What results is evil and cursing rather than goodness and blessing. And so for the rest of the very dark disc one, Genesis 1 through 11, human evil just gets ratcheted up to 11, okay? Um, But there is an important thread running through it that I don't want you to miss, and it's the reason for your favorite part of Genesis, the really long genealogies. Don't you just love those? That's the part you can't wait for. You're like, yes, more names. Um, The reason for that is really important. Uh, God's response to the serpent is this in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity, like hatred, war, between you, serpent, and the woman, Eve. Between your offspring, serpent, your kids, and her offspring, her kids. He, the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head, going to crush and kill you, but you shall bruise his heel. You're going to bite and kill him. So what happens after the fall is humanity gets split into two. There's the children of the serpent, typified by Cain, and the children of the woman, typified by Abel, and then very quickly by Seth, because Cain takes care of Abel. And the reason we have these genealogies in the Bible, the main reason, is to trace God's grace through this offspring, right? Through murder and flood and slavery and exile and war. God continues to preserve this line that will ultimately lead to the offspring, right? The Messiah, the chosen one who will defeat evil and bring blessing through his own cursed death but we're still in disc one, okay? Um, In chapter six, you know this story too, Um, the earth grows corrupt, and it says it grows filled with violence due to the consistently, heartbreakingly evil intentions of the human heart. And so God in grief and regret, it says, God floods the earth. But he saves a man named Noah and his family and like a zoo. (laughs) And chapter 9, verse 1, after the flood, says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. You recognize that from the garden? It's effectively, let's try this again. Adam and Eve 2.0. But immediately, there's another fall. Noah proves not to be this guy, the guy. His son Ham is evil. So we're back, we're right back where we started. And chapter 10 is another riveting genealogy that you love. And then in chapter 11, the end of the disc, humanity comes up with a new technology. Remember what it is? Bricks. Brick and mortar, right? And they think, hey, instead of spreading out like God told us to do, what if instead we all got together and we used our brick and mortar and we we made Heaven on earth, you know, let's build a big tower. And people got to be thinking, yeah, well, it is kind of dangerous and scary out there and we keep dying. So, you know, maybe if we do this, we can, chapter 11, verse 4, make a name for ourselves. So God sees that now the unchanged, sinful human heart 
is now aided by technology. And so God in his grace, God in his judgment, he disrupts the industry. He frustrates their ability to communicate with one another. And so they fracture into different languages and tribes and nations and they disperse. And the place is called Babel, yeah, which is just an epic burn in satire of Babylon, right? Um, And disc one ends with more genealogy and then we get to the family of a guy named Terah and his son and daughter-in-law, Abram and Sarai, who become Abraham and Sarah. And they're traveling to Canaan, the promised land, but they settle in Haran. They settle for less, and the disc one ends. and fades to black. Time to put it in the next disc, okay? So God, recap, made a very good world, shared his power with humans to rule and bless so that we would share our power, but then instead, what did we do? We sought to be gods, to define good and evil for ourselves. And the story is that when such hard, impatient hearts are aided by technology and bereft of some special grace from God, the result is that God's very good becomes very bad. Becomes a story of violence and sexual abuse and slavery. And that's the story, generation to generation. And I think it's our story too. We're just maybe moving from brick and mortar, mortar, that's Lord of the Rings, brick and mortar, Babels to, to digital ones, you know? Still building Babels, but there's hope. It's not the end of the story. God's grace gets involved. Again, disc two, nation, Genesis 12, one through three, and this is what we read at the start of our time together. God calls Abram, and he calls and tells him um, that he is going to go to a land that he is going to give them. Um, and I want you to notice how many times God says bless in here, right? Five times. It's, it's an overwhelming abundance of blessing that God is pouring on Abraham. And notice it says, just as they wanted to make a name for themselves, God says, uh-uh, he's going to make Abraham's name great. And so this is the turning point of Genesis. It's the turning point of the whole Bible. Notice God doesn't say to Abraham and Sarah again, be fruitful and multiply. No, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, an old infertile couple. Uh, Remember that God's family business is what? It's to bring blessing and flourishing and peace and wholeness, shalom to the ends of the earth. But everyone before Abraham failed, like immediately in this. And so now God himself is going to step in and get involved in a new way through Abraham and his children, Abraham and his offspring. And I think it will be helpful real quickly to just zoom back out to 30,000 feet for a moment. You don't need to write this down. You can take a picture of it or something, but uh, go back up to 30,000 feet. Genesis 1 through 11, God's dealing with humanity for the sake of blessing the world. Okay, Genesis 12 through 50, God's dealings now with the dysfunctional family of Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham on behalf of all of humanity, but still it's for what? For the sake of blessing all the families of the earth, the world. Okay, now we get to Exodus. God rescues this dysfunctional family of Abraham that's now grown very large on behalf of humanity for the sake of blessing the world. And then God forms them into a nation, 
of families, the nation of Israel, right? For the sake of blessing the world, okay? But now we're going to go up to like 60,000 feet, okay? For just a moment, disc 40, Gospels and Acts, God's forming of a family of nations, not a nation of families, but a family of nations, the the church, right? Um, Through faith in Jesus, the son of Abraham, for the sake of blessing the world. Isn't that just cool? The Bible is this one great story. Um, All right, so back down to 15,000 feet. Let's pop in disc two. So Genesis 12 through 50, we'll focus there. It's kind of like an album of pictures, but together that album forms one big picture of how God is going to save humanity and bless the world through Jesus who fulfilled this story. So after the whole Hagar incident, all right, um, Abraham and Sarah do have the promised child, Isaac, the one through him whom Israel, this nation of families, is going to come. And Isaac has two sons. Remember their names? Esau and Jacob. Good. Um, and Jacob steals the blessing from his older brother. Uh, remember, very dysfunctional family. Um, and then Jacob has how many sons? Twelve. Yeah, good. Twelve, uh, twelve sons, which become the twelve tribes of Israel. But Jacob has a favorite son. What's his name? Joseph. Uh, because he came from his favorite wife, Rachel. <laughs> Again, right? Very dysfunctional. You shouldn't have a favorite son, let alone a favorite wife, okay? Um, so the 11 brothers, they, uh, instead of getting therapy, they betray the beloved son, and they throw him into a pit, and then they realize, hey, you know, we could make a little money, um, and so they sell him into slavery and tell their daddy's dead. <laughs> Very dysfunctional, okay? But, God is with Joseph, the way he was with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And so Joseph rises from the pit to power, to the right hand of Pharaoh, ruling all of Egypt. And so after this great famine, um, through the wisdom of Joseph that he receives from God, the brothers, they have to travel to Egypt for food, And who do they find (laughs) ruling Egypt? Their betrayed brother, Joseph, who turns out to be their savior. And they're like, yes, Joseph, we missed you, right? No. (laughs) They're terrified that Joseph is going to have them killed and filled with grief and regret. But then Joseph speaks these words that hang over the entirety of the book of Genesis. Chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. Do not fear, brothers, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Genesis, which starts with humans trying to take the place of God and turning good into evil, It ends with a human, Joseph, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, huh? But forgiving his brothers because God in his grace made their evil turn out for good. So the brothers, they reunite 
And Jacob blesses the brothers and their families. But then Genesis ends. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. It's kind of a happy, sad story, right? Like, God, you know, God made it all turn out for good. But at the same time, Heath pointed this out to me. It's brilliant. We, we've gone from a tree of eternal life in Eden to a coffin made of chopped up trees, dead wood in Egypt. And being kept alive is not the same as eternal life, right? Any more than being embalmed is the same as being resurrected from the grave, which would you prefer, right? So if you've been a Christian a while, you probably have some, some idea of how Jesus completes the story, fulfills the story, right? The dysfunction of the family of Abraham uh, the, the, just grows along with the family. Um, they become a big nation, but again, they find themselves in slavery, just like Joseph, though not in Egypt, but in Babylon. And yet when the fullness of time comes, God sends his beloved son, fully God and yet fully human, just like his brothers in Israel. Like Joseph, Jesus is betrayed by his brothers out of envy. He is crucified on a Roman cross and buried. And like in Genesis, God takes that evil and makes it turn out for good. The, the cross becomes the very act in which their sins and ours are forgiven and washed clean. And like Joseph, Jesus rises from the pit to power, the right hand of the Father, but unlike Joseph, he rises never to die again and promises the same to those with just a tiny mustard seed of faith. Praise God, right? The Bible is incredible. But if you already know that, did, was that like a, or was that like a spoiler alert so now you don't got to read it for yourself, you know? Um, oh, no. Why this labor of love? Why still meditate day and night on this book? Um... There's a line in the Fellowship of the Ring spoken by the <laughs> immortal elf queen, Galadriel. Okay, bear with me, all right? I had a sports analogy two weeks ago. We're back to form, okay? Uh, she, Galadriel has been there from the very beginning. She says she's been there since before the fall of the great and glorious ancient kingdoms of Middle-earth. And she says that from the beginning, she and her people, the elves, have together, quote, together through the ages of the world, we have fought the long defeat. The long defeat. See, in the story, the elves know that they're, they're, they're passing away. There's very few left by the time we get to the story. They're going to sail into the west and be gone forever from earth. And yet they press on, preserving the good and the beautiful, fighting evil, in what Gandalf, the wizard, uh, calls the fool's hope. Just a fool's hope. That by some way, something will break in from beyond the walls of the world to somehow make things turn out for good in the end. The Lord of the Rings, it's a happy, sad story. It's its beauty. And I have to tell you, that beauty when I was a kid, it just smote my soul. When I, I didn't know, you know, Adam from Moses. And even when I was an atheist, I was still reading it. And it was shaping in me this notion that, you know, 
There's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Shape me deeply. And the Torah, which is unlike Lord of the Rings, God's word, but like Lord of the Rings, great literature, it doesn't just lead to Jesus. He's not just the spoiler. It shaped Jesus as a young man. It continued to shape him as he read it over and over again, alone with his disciples in synagogue, um, and it formed the way that he saw God, that he saw others, that he saw the earth itself instinctively. And Genesis 1 through 11, right, shaped Jesus. It shaped Jesus. No one was more aware of the evil of the human heart than Jesus. He knew what was in man. Right? This is why he wasn't impressed with the religious facades and the, the political programs of the Pharisees. He wasn't impressed. He knew what was in man. This is why he didn't mince words about the reality of, of hell. He knew the utter hopelessness of humanity apart from the grace of God. He was a humble realist in that way. But he wasn't a cynic because he knew Genesis 12 through 50 as well. That shaped him as well because no person was too far from God for Jesus. No family was too dysfunctional for Jesus to redeem. He knew in his bones from this book that God could work life and salvation and blessing out of any situation, even a crucifixion. See, the, the labor of love, of repeatedly reading Genesis alone, with your family, with your kids, I think it was meant to be read, it forms in us unflinching humility and realism not cynicism, but realism about humanity's ability to muck up even the best of situations, right? Even Eden. And at the same time, it forms in us unyielding hope in God's ability to save people out of the worst of situations, even death. So here's the big point. The story you live in shapes the person you become. The story you live in shapes the person you become. This story, meditated upon in faith, it slowly forms the image of God in us. It forms Christ-likeness in us. Is God the main character in your story, in the story of your family? Are you returning to him constantly? Is the story you're consciously living in forming in you unshakable hope, unflinching humility? Unshakable hope or, you know, the unceasing anxiety of political talk radio or, you know, Fox News or whatever your, your choice is, right? What story are you living in? What, what narrative are you living in? Unshakable hope or just the unceasing, right, uh, you know, self-righteousness and cynicism of Twitter? <laughs> These stories have power to form us and deform us as we live and abide in them. We want you to, to invite you. We want to invite you as your pastors to into this labor of love for Jesus. Of not only living in this story as we do, you know, as children of Abraham by faith, but consciously living by this story. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who meditates on the Torah day and night. He is like a tree planted by a stream of water. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. 
These other stories that surround us, they're addicting, right? Like Instagram stories on Twitter, you get addicted, you know, you're missing out. (laughs) But they dry us out. And scripture, reading scripture is labor, but it nourishes our soul and makes us fruitful. In this labor of love, we become blessed to become a blessing for others. We become a source of humility and hope. So as we go on with this series, um, and with other series under this people of the word theme that started last year, last summer with the Gospels, um, we're going to continue to make it our aim to inspire you and equip you with resources so that to help you make the word of God the center of your life and the center of your family's life so that we would spread blessing, VCC, so that you would flourish like a fruitful tree of life right where God has placed you. Amen? Amen. The word of God is powerful. So um, another powerful practice, which we're going to do now in light of what we've heard, is confess our sins together. If we live by this story, it means we are all, all of us, male and female, old, young, whatever, we are sinners. And we confess our sins as a practice to grow in humility and to grow in hope of the forgiveness of our sins. We're going to do that, and then we're going to take communion together. If you forgot to grab your elements on the way in, anytime now, no shame, uh, they're, they're in the back, left and right corner, you can go up and go, go grab those. Um, okay, so let's all read together. Uh, it starts like this. Gracious creator God, we humbly come to you today in confession. You gifted us with life, but we fail in reflecting upon it with gratefulness. You created us for fellowship, but we turn from you. You call us to love you and others, but so often loving ourselves is our delight. You have called us to live in your light, but we often run into the shadows. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen.